Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. go episode 52 of Sorallo Sports Talk and I can't wait Super Bowl 56 is all set it's the Bengals it's the Rams for the second straight year a team is hosting the Super Bowl playing in their home stadium I am less than five days from touching down in Los Angeles going to bring you the absolute best coverage every day all next week my man former Seattle Seahawks all pro linebacker Lofa Tatupu all set to join the show But let's get to Conference Championship Sunday. Because a week ago, after four divisional round games came down to the final play to determine a winner, I said Conference Championship Sunday was not going to come close to living up to the expectations that we had set for us last week. And my goodness, was I wrong. Five straight NFL playoff games came down To the final play with the Bengals game-winning kick in overtime over Kansas City today. You've got the LA Rams with not a game-winning play on the final play of the game. It was the first time we've seen victory formation in a couple weeks, but a game-clinching INT because that's what Jimmy Garoppolo does after all. That interception comes inside two minutes to go in that game. That game was just as down to the wire as the other five games of the past eight days now. After a super wildcard weekend, that was anything but super, we have been treated to six straight, absolutely superb, phenomenal, nail-biting football games. And it all leads to this Super Bowl 56 in Los Angeles, the Bengals and the Rams. Let's start with those Cincinnati Bengals. How about Joe Burrow? I mean, there's a reason that they call him Joe Burr, right? The guy's got ice in his veins. There's a reason that they call him Joe Cool. But how about Joe Burrow? Because things looked awfully grim for the Cincinnati Bengals when they were down 21-3 late in the second quarter. And Joe Burrow turned around and said, you know what, Andy Reid? You know what, Patrick Mahomes? You know what, 80,000 screaming loud raucous fans in Arrowhead Stadium? This week, I'm the Grim Reaper. He looked like an absolute deer in the headlights for the first 20 minutes of that football game. But at the end of the day... He stayed cool, calm, and collected like we've seen him do so many times before. And there's a reason this guy has never, never lost a big game on the big stage. His senior year at LSU, his coming out party, which saw him go from a late round day three draft pick to the number one overall pick, right? He beats Bama. Primetime afternoon, you know, 3.30 CBS, that sweet spot in front of the entire nation goes out there, beats Tua, beats Bama in a shootout, wins the SEC title game, blows out Oklahoma, I mean blows the doors off them with a seven-touchdown performance in the college football semifinal, and then, of course, that college football championship game against Clemson was never really that close. Comes out his rookie year, plays no meaningful games, in fact, keeps Cincinnati in some games that they really shouldn't have been in, and then this year. Look at what he's done in big games this year. 
Bengals come out week one, they set the tone for the season by upsetting Minnesota, but nothing's proven at that point, right? Nothing's proven in September. Blows the doors off Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, not once, but twice. And then week 17, the Chiefs march into Cincinnati and Joe Burrow tells Kansas City, shows Kansas City, shows the rest of the country who the king of the jungle is. I mean, the Bengals, they like to say rule the jungle, right? Joe Burrow ruled the jungle week 17, 400 yards. Jamar Chase goes for 266, a come from behind 34-31 win. But that can't happen again, right? I mean, if the Cincinnati Bengals are so lucky as to force a rematch with Kansas City in the postseason, there's no way that can happen again, let alone an Arrowhead Stadium. So what do they do? They take care of business. They beat the Raiders in their home field. First playoff win in 31 years. Then it's on to Tennessee, and everyone is picking the Tennessee Titans. You all know this. If you listen to the show, if you follow me on social media, you all know I had Cincinnati beating Tennessee. I've been loving this Bengals team. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I picked them to win today. I didn't. I didn't think the Chiefs were going to win by seven. I thought that line was not respectful to the Bengals, to Burrow, what they've done, especially as road underdogs all year. By the way, the Cincinnati Bengals have won. I'm not talking covered. They have outright won every game that they've been a road underdog in since week two. They were road dogs at Chicago week two, lost 24-20. I believe they were two and a half point dogs. Since then, every time they've been a road dog, outright winners. But I digress. They go to Nashville. They go up on the Titans early. Tennessee gets back in the game. Evan McPherson, by the way, the best rookie season a kicker's had, I think, in the history of the world in any sport, football, soccer, any anything that has to do with kicking a ball, Evan McPherson's done better than any rookie in history. Looks at Joe Burrow, shrugs, says, I guess we're going to the AFC Championship game. But then, right, it's gotta end there. Yes, Tennessee had a great season. Yes, Tennessee was the one seed. But Ryan Tannehill was their quarterback. Derrick Henry was coming off an injury that saw him miss 10 weeks of action. There was no way that the Bengals, who beat the Raiders, who went on the road and beat the Titans, there was no way they could go to Arrowhead and beat Kansas City. And that's where the Bengals' defense comes in. Because Joe Burrow really turned it on in the second half and showed that he's got guts and that he's got composure. But how about the Bengals' defense? Because we could have easily, when this game went to overtime and the Kansas City Chiefs won the coin toss, we could have easily been in store for another whole week, held two more weeks of overtime rules debate, right? And I think we've all had enough of that. Look, did it stink last week that the Buffalo Bills didn't get a chance to touch the ball in overtime? Absolutely. It stunk three, four years ago in the AFC Championship game that Patrick Mahomes didn't get to touch the ball in overtime when Brady and the Pats went into Arrowhead for the first of four straight AFC title games in Kansas City, and they won in overtime without Kansas City getting a chance. Yes, that rule stinks, especially in the postseason, but we didn't need to hear about it for another week, because the Cincinnati Bengals showed you that even though it's unlikely, you can win a game if you lose the overtime coin toss. I mean, what those Cincinnati Bengals did on defense, the entire second half in overtime, it wasn't just overtime, Kansas City did not score for the first 29 minutes and 57 seconds of the second half, right until that field goal as time expired in the fourth quarter. Tyreek Hill 
did not have a receiving yard in the second half. Patrick Mahomes, after halftime, so second half and overtime, 42 passing yards. If you think about that, how in the world is it humanly possible to hold Patrick Mahomes to just 42 passing yards in over 30 minutes of football? That's why the Cincinnati Bengals defense deserves equal, if not more credit, than Joe Burrow for their performance today, for staying in this game after the hole that they dug themselves down 21-3 in the first 25 minutes of football today. Trey Hendrickson controlled the line of scrimmage the entire second half, was in Patrick Mahomes' face, quite literally deflecting passes, sacking him. B.J. Hill had that deflection to himself, turned into the big man's first INT. As a Giants fan who's watched B.J. Hill the past three years, absolutely love that. I mean, Eli Apple. I can't sit here and say I'm a fan of Eli Apple. I think he needs to put his damn phone down and get off Twitter for more than 10 minutes at a time. But Eli Apple had a hell of a game. You know, he committed that pass interference that set up, and we'll get to this, that set up the Chiefs with a first and goal on the goal line at the end of the first half. And he came back, and he made a hell of a tackle on Tyreek Hill on the final play of the first half to keep him out of the end zone. And he went on to have an absolutely phenomenal, physical second half of football. Eli Apple, outside of that one pass interference call that really could have dug the Bengals' graves for good if KC goes up 28-10 there, I mean, that's checkmate. But Eli Apple had a hell of a football game out there. You know, let's get to that pass interference, right? And what happened subsequently after that, the Chiefs up 21-10 late in the first half. When we talk about the Chiefs' performance today, what the Cincinnati Bengals did was great, and Joe Burrow should be commended, and that defense should be applauded. Andy Reid deserves to be crushed for how that first half ended. You know, I've spent a lot of time over the past few years defending Andy Reid. People wanted to kill him four years ago when the Chiefs lost that AFC title game that I just mentioned before to New England at home. And up, this is typical Andy Reid. That's his fifth conference championship game. He can't get over the hump. And I defended him. And I think Andy Reid is one of the best coaches in the history of the NFL. I'd say probably a top five coach of all time. But what he did today has me thinking it's almost time for him to retire. I've defended him too much to see him flat out stop coaching for the final 30 minutes and five seconds of regulation. Plus, of course, overtime. You know, I didn't initially hate the decision to go for it with five seconds left from the start. But as I'm watching this, as I'm seeing this play unfold, I'm thinking there is one option for this play with five seconds left and no timeouts. You have to run a two-yard button hook to Travis Kelsey, and either he's open and you rifle it in there, or he's not open and you spike it at his feet, that play takes three, maybe four seconds, and even though it's risky, you still have a second or two to run the field goal unit out there, and if the play doesn't work, go up 24-10. If you aren't confident in running that play in three to four seconds, successful or not, just trot the field goal unit out there with five seconds left. This isn't Monday morning quarterbacking, this is basic football common sense. You're up 21-10, Take the points. It's a 14-point game then at halftime. And that play design, that decision 
to not just run a play with five seconds left and no timeouts, but to run that play. A swing route to the left flat with Tyreek Hill. Yes, probability-wise, if you tell me Tyreek Hill has one man to beat, more than 50% of the time, Tyreek Hill is going to beat that man. But Eli Apple didn't let him beat him. And throwing that ball nowhere near the sideline, knowing that no matter what happens, that's the last play of the first half, that was the death sentence right there. That no matter what happened, it was the last play. The play design I was thinking of, a quick look to Kelsey, would have left you time still for a field goal. But Andy Reid going out there and saying, you know what, even if it doesn't work, whatever, we're up 21-10. Well, you just became the Grim Reaper, but to your own damn team, Andy. And the thing that kills me is that that's all everyone's going to be talking about. But that wasn't the first mistake Andy Reid made in that first half of that game. The first mistake that was absolutely baffling when it comes to time management and clock management and game management was burning a timeout before a challenge that he won. And you know, I saw a great line on Twitter. I can't remember where it came from, but it said Andy Reid's the only coach in the history of the world who manages to lose a timeout when winning a challenge. And it's true. I mean, it was so clear that the Chiefs fullback had gotten the first down on the play I'm referencing that that he challenged. Why waste the timeout so you can confirm with the guys upstairs and make sure? You already had the ball. You were in control of the clock. You had 40 seconds to throw that red flag, and that wasn't enough? I mean, watching the game from my perspective, from the couch, it was a clear first down. I was waiting for him to throw the challenge flag, and when he did and it got overturned, I wasn't surprised about anything, except I'm going, why the hell do the Chiefs have two timeouts left? Because Andy Reid made a ridiculous, incredible clock management blunder. And if he doesn't, Burn that timeout in that spot. You have to wonder about the domino effect and how that impacts that final series, that final sequence going into halftime. And if having that extra timeout, because the Chiefs burned their third and final timeout with 13 seconds left, well, maybe having that extra timeout in those final 13 seconds alters the play selection, alters the approach, and maybe the Chiefs walk away with an extra three points that proved costly, that proved to be a game-winning three points, if he doesn't burn that timeout on the challenge that he won anyway and didn't need to waste it on. Andy Reid, this doesn't come down to one play. His clock management and game management throughout this game was absolutely atrocious, and it came back to bite his own team. And look, Patrick Mahomes, I'm not going to completely take the blame away from him. He looked lost. His throws were off the mark. In the second half, his throws were either too high, lobbed a bit too much, a step or two behind his receiver. He was off. But this all comes back to Andy Reid. The timeout blunder with the challenge. The failure to take the points going into the locker room. It all comes back to Andy Reid being too cute. And football is not a place to be cute. It's a place to be smart. And it's a place to be tough. When you get cute in football, you dig your own grave. And that's what Andy Reid did. You know, the Chiefs are going to be playing golf on the second Sunday of February. And as much as this Bengals team, and specifically Joe Burrow, it all comes back to Joe Burrow, as lovable as they are, the Kansas City Chiefs are probably the best team in the NFL. And it's a disservice 
to everyone watching football and to his players that Andy Reid is preventing the Kansas City Chiefs or has prevented the Kansas City Chiefs from moving on to Super Bowl 56. So all this attention about the Bengals, how about their opponent? How about the fact that Super Bowl 56 for the second straight year is going to feature a team in its home stadium? Now you had a better chance of it this year than last year because it could have been the Chargers or the Rams. You had a 1-16 in chance this year of it happening. And how about the way the Rams got there, the style that the Rams got there? Down 17-7 in the fourth quarter, the comeback kids. You know, last week it was the Rams going up big early and blowing it and letting Tampa back in the game, but recovering on a game-winning field goal. And this week, they go up 7-0. They allow 17 unanswered points to the 49ers. And here we go again. Kyle Shanahan living rent-free in Sean McVay's head. You know, McVay was Kyle Shanahan's quality control coach back when they were fellow coaches for the Washington then Redskins. You all know a quality control coach is another way of saying he was Shanahan's assistant. So yeah, Sean McVay was the assistant to an assistant. Kyle Shanahan, make no mistake about it, walked all over Sean McVay during their time together in Washington. Sean McVay has come out and not so bluntly said exactly that. So Sean McVay, to come into this game 3-7 and seven against Shanahan, Loser of six straight in this Rams-Niners-McVay-Shanahan rivalry. Sean McVay had Shanahan so deep inside his head. And the crazy thing is, because LA won, it showed. Because Sean McVay did not outcoach Kyle Shanahan. He just had the luxury of having such better players out there on the field. If you go back and watch that game... I mean, maybe you picked up on it live. It was hard not to. Kyle Shanahan outcoached McVay every step of the way. The difference is, Jimmy G gone Jimmy G, and Jimmy G got in the way of Shanahan and the rest of the 49ers. I mean, Sean McVay used both of his challenges and lost them both. You know, we can sit here and talk about Andy Reid and his clock management, and it was abysmal. Sean McVay's was every bit as bad. He lost his final challenge and subsequently his final timeout with 10 minutes to go. How do you start a half with three timeouts, especially the second half, and not carry at least one into the final 10 minutes of play? Sean McVay did not lead the Rams to victory. Sean McVay got bailed out by a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Matthew Stafford and a defense absolutely littered with Hall of Famers. Sean McVay was not the boy genius in this game that everyone claims he is. Sean McVay was outcoached, was intimidated, was totally thrown off his game because the better coach was on the other sideline. And McVay knows it. And McVay can't shake it. He might have won the game, but at the end of the day, he couldn't shake that Shanahan had him flustered and off his game because he made some awful decisions. Both of his challenges were absolutely awful, desperate scared challenges. They weren't confident, well-informed decisions. They were scared, flustered, impulsive decisions. But at the end of the day, when you're dealing with a game with everything on the line, a trip to Super Bowl 56 on the line, it's better to have Matthew Stafford lining up under center 
than Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, coming into this game, Jimmy G had not thrown a touchdown this postseason. He was 2-0, but as I hammered home last episode, wins are not a quarterback stat. Jimmy Garoppolo had thrown zero touchdowns and two interceptions, one in each game, one in each victory going into this game. And all of a sudden in this one, he actually, for the first three quarters, looked the best he's looked all postseason. But in typical Garoppolo fashion, it caught up to him. And when he went from being up 17-7 to being down 20-17, all of a sudden, he was flustered and didn't know what to do. The Rams came, and look, give the Rams credit here. They brought tremendous pressure down the stretch. The 49ers' last two possessions, I mean, I think their second-to-last possession was quite literally a 15-second possession. And then on their final one, they bring the pressure, and instead of taking a third-down sack, setting Jimmy G and the 49ers up for a fourth and 25 approximately with everything on the line, he throws it away out of desperation. The Rams pick it off, and that's the ball game. We all knew, deep down, we all knew this game was going to end with a Jimmy G mistake. And you had it right there. The sack wasn't entirely on him. He was trying to evade pressure. His coverage, his blocking rather, broke down. The sack is not entirely on him. The decision, just like Kyler Murray's decision against these Rams in the wild card round, to just throw a prayer up and try to get an incompletion instead of a sack, that was costly. It probably put the Cardinals to bed in the wild card round. That Murray interception in the end zone. And it definitely put the 49ers to bed in this round and set up an LA Rams, Cincinnati Bengals Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford, after doing hard time over a decade in Detroit, is headed to the big game in his first year out of prison. And yes, I said hard time for a reason. Detroit is football prison. Matthew Stafford's headed to the big game. And Joe Burrow in year two, the first number one overall draft pick to make it to the Super Bowl in year two. This game is going to be absolutely incredible. More on it in a minute. My man Lofa Tatupu is all set to join the show. Stick around with me, Joe Serralo, right here on Serralo Sports Talk. I'll be right back. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk. And as promised, one of my favorite guests all set to join the show, former All-Pro linebacker with the Seattle Seahawks, two-time national champ at USC. It's my man, Lofa Tatupu. Lofa, thanks so much for hopping on. Yeah, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, I was just looking back at some of my past episodes. It's been 11 months since you've been on the show. And that's too damn long. What's up with that? Wow. I mean, I know you're busy. You know, you got a lot of stars out there uh, coming on the show. So, but I'm happy anytime I get the call back. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't want to let 11 months go by again. We've got so much to get to. Conference Championship Sunday in the NFL just passed. And we were talking leading up to the game. You said you wanted Cincinnati. You got your wish. But more importantly, looking at Andy Reid and how things unfolded at the end of the first half, What's going through your mind when you see Kansas City leave those points on the board? Oh, dude, as a player, you know, being out there before, you're, you're devastated. Um, I mean, you're not think you still got a 21 to 3 lead. You're not, you know, trying to read too much into it. But you want to talk about, you know, really taking the wind out of that whole stadium? Yeah, they were all astonished. They couldn't believe it. And so, 
you know, not only clock management on the coaching side, but, you know, as a, an NFL MVP and, and been to the Super Bowl twice already in his first three or four years, Mahomes knows he has to come away with points there. His points are at a premium in all games, but especially in the playoffs. And you saw, I, I knew, I, I was watching the game with two of my buddies, and as soon as that happened, I go, watch what happens. I go, I, I, now, I didn't think the Bengals would win the game. I knew they would at least climb back into it. And uh, you can't leave Joe Burrow, you know, or, or Mahomes that kind of time. But this was the first time I really didn't think, I, you know, I didn't see Pat Mahomes play like Pat Mahomes. It, it was the Bengals, they, uh, again, for the second time, they uh, held them to three points. They did the same during the regular season as they made their adjustments. And, uh, yeah, it was eerily similar uh, fashion for the same, the same two games they played. And it ended the same way. Yeah, Chiefs went up 28-14 in that first game, lost 34-31. They were up 21-3, ended up at halftime leading 21-10. And we all know how this one unfolded, but I just didn't understand that play call there. I understand running a play, maybe looking a quick button hook to Kelsey in the end zone, and if it's not there, throw it away. Yeah. But to see him throw it in the flat to Tyree Hill, I, I mean, what was, your, what was your opinion of that play call? I feel like you deserve to lose if you, if you don't score that. If you don't get three, at least you deserve to lose. And I mean, it's um, it just it was it was a, a lot of it was questionable, man. But yeah, that play call in particular, you know, obviously that that's on the coaches. But then the execution or lack thereof, that's on the player. You know, you, we're supposed to bail out coaches. I've been both. I've been a player and a coach. You know, as a player, it's on your shoulders to to bail out the coach. But as a coach, you should not be putting your players in those positions. Um, no timeouts. And I mean, it felt like Pat didn't even know the situation because he's over there spiking a timeout and there were no timeouts. So I just, again, this was a game that they felt they let the Bengals hang around too long. And, and the Bengals are a dangerous team. I have not given the Bengals the credit that they deserve. You know, they beat the Raiders. I thought the Raiders were, you know, a solid team, but they gave a lot of, you know, games away that they shouldn't have during the season. They go on the road and they play the Titans, and, you know, Henry was banged up. Tannehill had a, a really bad game. So I wasn't giving enough credit to the Bengals. But when you come back, you know, in the Chiefs' house, after they've been to two straight Super Bowls, they won one, so they've got experience on their side. And you got essentially a rookie quarterback in Burrow because he missed half of the season with a torn ACL. Yeah. You, I really don't see how, you know, they let them hang around that long. They, even if they just make it an extra score game right there, there's not enough time to come back, essentially. It's, um, it's just one of those things that you, you can't explain. I can't imagine how bad the Chiefs are feeling right now, uh, knowing that they, they, they had that game. Yeah, and, you know, if you take the points there, Bucker's game tying field goal at the end of regulation is a game-winning field goal. And, and it's a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl that so many people were expecting going into SoFi. Well, Joe, look at that last that last possession when they got down there. And, you know, you could see all the Bengals kind of like, oh, man, here it is. Mahomes doing what Mahomes does. They get down to like around the 10 or 15-yard line. And uh, plenty of time, minute. They have all their timeouts. Um, and, you know, Mahomes not only – takes a sack but fumbles and if if his lineman doesn't you know heads up alert and jump on that ball Bucker doesn't even get the chance to yeah. force overtime and so like I said those were on top of the tail of two halves Pat came out on fire 15 to 17 I think 200 two touchdowns in the first half 
second half, I think they had, he had two interceptions and, and the rest of the possessions they were punting. So it's like, it was insane. Um, I do, I give credit to the Bengals. They are not to be taken lightly. And because um, I know LA, you know, we'll get to that game, obviously, but I know them thinking they slayed the beast or, or, or their, you know, their own demons, um, you know, in, in beating the Niners. But man, I don't know. I just, there, I just read a stat. Joe Burrow has never lost a playoff game, not since high school, not in college, and now not in the NFL. That's insane. Yeah. I, I mean, I was talking about it in my last segment. He's never lost a big game. Beat Bama in college. Won mm. the SEC title game. Both playoff games. This year, you look at the big games he's played in, because last year he didn't have a big game, right? Yeah. This year, sweeps Baltimore. Beats Kansas City in the jungle week 17. This guy has never lost a big game. I mean, there's something to be said about that. You know, there's some guys that they just rise. You know, Joe's always been steady, but it seems like the harder it gets, the better he plays. And um, it doesn't hurt when you got Jamar Chase your whole college career in NFL. Yeah, Jamar Chase, who in the preseason people were saying couldn't see the ball well, couldn't catch. Now he's in the Super Bowl setting all rookie receiving records. Yeah, he has the all-time rookie receiving record, went to the Pro Bowl. I mean, yeah, he had a rough uh, what preseason. It's because he didn't touch a football. I mean, or I'm assuming he didn't, you know, he took that year of college off to uh, get ready for the NFL. It looks like he did him right, and I wouldn't be surprised if more guys start doing that as they, they start to, you know, wage their risk, uh, you know, risk assessment going into their, their career. Do I want to play that junior year, or do I want to just get ready now because I've shown enough in my first two years? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's very reasonable to think guys start going that route. Let's get over to that NFC game. Rams, Niners, two teams you know very well. I know you dreaded this matchup. What was the most impressive part of this game to you? Was it the Niners overcoming Jimmy G for the first 50 minutes of play, or was it Stafford and the Rams comeback? I mean, you know, these are two quarterbacks that I've given a hard time in the past, and rightfully so. I mean, even Stafford with all the records, I thought, hey, you know what? Changing him for golf, that's not going to make them contenders. And I was wrong. I said that right out the gate, and I was wrong. But he was making me look good all season long when those big moments happened. He kept turning the ball over. Tennessee. Was, yeah, Tennessee. There's all these games where he just turned it over. And I was like, oh, this is this is who he was in Detroit. This is who he is. And, like, just accept it. Um, but – you know, I, they added some more pieces, you know, getting Vaughn Miller at the trade deadline that he, he played a big role in that Tampa game. And then again, in this last one. So, but, um, and then Jimmy G man, like you, you can't, I know you got an opportunity to go back and win the game, but you can't take that chance. And, you know, the way he tried to throw it away and just, he pretty much handed them the, the victory, but, um, you know, Stafford again, if, if Jaquiski Tart catches that, that gift, Right down the middle. I yeah. don't even know who he was throwing to because Hart was the only one in the middle. Van Jefferson and uh, I think Odell were on the outside. And so I was like, I was wondering where he was throwing. I think he was just, again, going back to that, that moment that might be a little too big for him. And, and this is what we're going to see is, you know, on the big stage, I know what Joe Burrow is going to do. <laughs> I mean, I know it's college and a national championship, but he's done it in the playoffs too. He, he hasn't lost the playoff game yet. My question is, can Stafford, you know, hold up here if it was one more game? And if he can, he's going in the Hall of Fame. I, I'm going to reverse everything I've said. And I said, if he wins this one, he deserves Hall of Fame uh, recognition because he's, I mean, he's going to break more records in the coming years. But it's um, it's just good to see because he's always been he's always been a tough player. He battled up in Detroit for years. 
he did have some help. You know, Calvin Johnson's not, not too bad. Uh, but, <laughs> I'd say. But, um, you know, it's uh, that game, it was, man, when I thought up 10 in the fourth, I was like, no chance. They're not, they're not going to do it. And it just, again, they hung around just long enough, made enough plays. And that defense, um, they shut down the run the whole time and pretty much forced it. Hey, Jimmy G, if you're going to beat us, you know, you're going to beat us. We're not going to. We're not going to let that running game get going, you know, so. Yeah, I, I thought it was an incredible gutsy performance by the Rams because in the same way Andy Reid was outcoached by Zach Taylor, I think Sean McVay was outcoached once again by Shanahan. I mean, he had no timeouts in the final 10 minutes of the game. Two awful wasted challenges. What is it with McVay? Because he's the boy genius, right? Everyone loves him. His IQ's through the roof. But he goes up against Shanahan. And you see he's visibly flustered. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because this whole NFC West, we have kind of like a little cycle. Uh, you know, just like you say, Shanahan owns McVay. Well, Pete Carroll owns Shanahan. Yeah. And, and, and McVay owns Kingsbury. And Kingsbury owns Pete. So <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, obviously it's matchups, it's styles, you know, coaching styles and playing styles. But um, I really thought what – especially late in the game, early on in the season, we'll take it back to the first matchup when they destroyed him, 31 to 10 or something. It was just a bloodbath. Uh, prime time, Stafford had a horrible game. They ran the ball for like 200 yards. I think they had 46 rushes total in that game. Um, and this was, I think there was a couple people hurt for the Niners, but they literally played defense and smash mouth ball. And I think they just, they got away. They got away from it, you know, towards the end there. And um, I think they only had 18 total rushes, you know, now 46 in a game that you manhandled them versus 18 in a game that you let them come back in and you left enough clock on there for, you know, Stafford to put together a, a winning drive. It's just, um, it's tough because, you know, these, these genius offensive coordinators that get these head coaches jobs, it's like they can never leave the pass game behind, especially when you get to the playoffs. A strong run game in the defense is generally what gets you there. Um, and when when L.A. was having a lot of success, they were using Sony Michelle. Um, Cam Akers, I mean, he had a rough game in Tampa, but he still looks good. And so I wonder, you know, especially going against the Bengals, what, what it's going to be like and what their, their kind of attack is. Yeah, well, it's easy for a Seahawks guy who's had Marshawn Lynch for the better part of a decade to talk about the importance of ground and pound football. I mean, you know, you were coaching on a team that went to the Super Bowl, right? And Lynch, of uh, course, was yeah. in that backfield. I came, I came just after, so they the, the second oh. Super Bowl, the one to the Patriots, and then um, yeah, so I came here at fifteen, and yeah, we had Marshawn Lynch, and we had uh, the Legion of Boom was still intact, and they were still wrecking shop, and then we had Cliff Aver, Michael Bennett, we had that D line to go with two of the best linebackers to play the game in the last ten years, KJ Wright and uh, Bobby Wagner. Yeah, and I want to get to you, Seahawks. But first, Super Bowl 56, Bengals, Rams. There's one thing about this game that I think you're looking more forward to than the game itself, and that's got to be the halftime show. I know how much you love Tupac. I know you're a West Coast rap guy. How excited are you for this lineup, Snoop, Dre, and Mary J. Kendrick? Oh, man. I mean, the pioneers in the game, man. <laughs> it's like so yeah, it's going to be a show. I forget. Who do we have when I went? I think we had like the Rolling Stones. And I mean, they, they, said they put on a good show. But I mean, yeah. I mean, it's in L.A. You got, you got you know, people from L.A. that, that you know, representing. So 
uh, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be the part of the game I might be most looking forward to. That and Joe Burrow in the fourth quarter because he's got something up his sleeve. Joe Burrow, man, I'm telling you, don't be surprised if he gets Super Bowl. If the only way he won't get Super Bowl MVP is if he throws too many to chase and he and he <laughs> gets MVP. But uh, yeah, I you know this is tough, you know, because look, my dad played one year for the Rams. I went to Southern Cal, but being a Seahawk. I cannot actively root for the Rams. I just can't. I can't find it in me. I'm sorry. So I am hoping that the Bengals pull this one out. You know, I was having this discussion with a friend yesterday. I was talking about you coming on the show and saying how, you know, I usually root for my league or my conference to win the big game, you know, even if my team's not in it because there's that conference pride. But when you're dealing with a divisional rival, that all goes out the window, right? It goes out the window. If it was somebody, you know, like the Giants or somebody, you know, I see the Manning jersey, somebody from, <laughs> you, know, you know, another in the conference, but another division. Yeah, okay. You know, let's let's go root for them and keep strong. But man, I mean, it was it was tough to watch two of our three teams, well, all three in our division, but us in the playoffs and two of battle for the right to go to the Super Bowl. It was um, that was tough. Yeah, so let's talk about your Seahawks then. There's rumors that, you know, Pete and Russ might be nearing a breakup and Pete's coming back next year. So is Russ. Where do you think Russ is playing come week one of 2022? I do not. And, you know, I I, I said on a podcast this morning with Ike Taylor of the Pittsburgh. We, we joined him on the Believe Podcast Network. And uh, it wasn't even 10 or 15 minutes after they declared Pete and John Schneider were coming back for another year, which, I mean, they're signed through 2025 and 2027, I believe. I mean, I understand. I know Pete's one of the oldest coaches in the league, but um, there was questions about if they'd be coming back. They met with Jody Allen, and they're, they're coming back. And it wasn't even like 20 minutes later, I get a notification on my phone. Russ Wilson wants to explore his options. And, again, when you're under contract for two years, two more years, you don't really have options unless you make options. So um, that would involve him waiving his no trade clause. And uh, I'm sure he would do so if his camp found a right fit. But one of those, the only thing that's given me optimism that he's coming back is that Sean Payton just retired. And that was one of the big landing spots of where he, he would like to be. I mean, you look at what Sean Payton's done with quarterbacks, you know, whether it was Jameis, whether it was Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, don't have to mention Drew Brees and, and taking him from, taking him from an injured shoulder to the all-time pass leader before Brady passed him up. Um, it's just incredible. And then staying competitive with, with the likes of Taysom Hill. Love Taysom Hill, but he wasn't drafted as a quarterback and, you know, for a reason. And he, he's, a, he's a phenomenal player, but he's more in like that Debo Samuel kind of mode. And, uh, but that was one of the big landing spots, according to a lot of the rumors. Um, yeah, maybe the Giants is what the other one they were saying in Chicago, but everybody's getting like new coaches. So you don't know what their plan of attack is going forward. So I anticipate if he wants out, he's going to leave. And I just, um, we were talking to Ike, and I thought Pittsburgh could be a landing spot for him. Yeah, I mean, to me, Pittsburgh makes the most sense. It's does Sierra want to live in Pittsburgh? Because obviously she'd go to New York, and Brian Dable, I think, is an attractive head coach to play for. But yeah. We don't really have weapons, and we would have to give up draft capital that we need to build an offensive line in order to get Russ. So is he going to come here and get beat up the way he was, you know, a couple of years ago when he was one of the most sacked QBs in the league? 
I just don't know. He's got a pretty good in Seattle in terms of offensive weapons. And if they build the defense back to where it once was or even close, it's a division that Seattle can win next year. Yeah, absolutely. And then you got to you look at all the teams in our conference. They're going to be picking picking late, you know, with their draft picks now because of the success they've had. Unfortunately, we don't have a first round pick because we gave that up for Jamal. And uh, but you know, I'd like to see us get signed Diggs back. You know, um, I know he's got an injury, but that's probably been our MVP the last year or two. Uh, him and Bobby. We do have a decision to make with Bobby and his cap number. I think they can come to an agreement to uh, restructure and maybe you know lower that cap number um, because I don't want to see him in another uniform. That would be devastating. Um, just like KJ Wright, didn't want to see him in another uniform. But um, yeah, and we're not that far off, especially the last few weeks. And when we got back to at least a little more, it was a little more 50-50, not 75-25 in terms of you know uh, pass to run. We, we were utilizing that run, run game and Rashad Penny um the decision to make there on him i don't know if carson's coming back but it, it's a lot of good pieces that we we can still get and uh and, and we can win this i mean we the niners were a game away from the super bowl they were a quarter away from the super bowl and we beat them easily both times both times yeah. and they were a game from not making the playoffs exactly right and and so if we just win that bears game who knows what happens you know <laughs> And uh, but we but we get we blew a fourth quarter lead, ten point lead, like we've done I think two or three times this year, and um, unfortunately, it's you got to finish, man. You got to finish strong. Yeah, absolutely. But the NFC is, in my opinion, a weak conference that's only getting weaker once you're down from the top four or five teams, and it's wide open for Seattle to win double digit games next year and get right back in the picture. Absolutely. Yeah, the AFC is is really that's the tough man. <laughs> You, uh, Ike was listing off all the uh, quarterbacks that are over there. You know, Mahomes, uh, Herbert, uh, Carr, Allen. Uh, who, man, I can't believe that that game was unbelievable. The uh, a week ago, the Bills and yeah. Chiefs. So there's there's a lot of a lot of talent over there, and a lot of competition. You know, if you were to go over there, that's why. And then you got Burrow, who I, I'll I'll give this shout out to my man T.J. Hushmanzada before the season. Who said Joe Burrow is easily a top five quarterback? And I don't know many people that would have agreed with him, but now, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, he's looking like a genius. And uh, and he knew. He, he just knew. Yeah. Give him credit. I said before the season, Burrow would win a Super Bowl in his career. I just didn't say if it would be in Cincinnati or elsewhere because something about the Bengals, I just didn't know. If, I, I thought he'd have to leave, go ring chasing elsewhere. Hey, you mentioned Ike Taylor a few times, hopping on Believe in Steelers with him and Mark. Great show right here on the Believe Network. I had Ike on last week, and we talked about Big Ben. Unfortunately, you had a run-in with Big Ben very early in both of your careers. What did you see in Super Bowl Forty from Ben that, despite having the worst, at the time, the worst statistical Super Bowl of a winning quarterback ever, what did you see that showed, all right, this guy has that it factor? And what is the NFL missing now with his retirement? Well, he was just tough, you know. Um, even I'm talking two interceptions, like you said, a 19 or a 20 QBR. I think yeah. it's the lowest to ever, historically bad. And uh, but he was going to do whatever it took, and you know he wasn't going to complain when when they were handing the ball off, you know. And they weren't getting much, but you didn't see him. He trust he trusted uh, Cower and the coaches. And um, and like like Ike always says, he's like, is the QB 
the strongest teams, the QB is one of their guys. He's one of the boys. And Ben was one of the boys, and that's why they fought for him. And, uh, yeah, phenomenal career. Uh, he still was not across that goal line. <laughs> when, he said, when I ran into him, he was just short. But uh, <laughs> congrats on the career, Ben. And, uh, and, yeah, man, just like that toughness aspect. I think especially back in the day, man, you know, of course, Ben was like one of the first big quarterbacks, you know, like really big, abnormally large compared to the other guys, the pocket back, 250 plus pounds, right? And like, we're, we would tee off on him. Like, and he wasn't getting any protection because he was scrambling and he got out of a lot of bad situations in terms of like uh, when, when the rush got there. I mean, it was hard to get him down. So like, there were a lot of calls that should have been penalties for roughing that a lot of these kids, they don't even know what that's like. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully we can get that fixed because there's such a, like a small strike zone these days from like the top of the thighs to like the top of the numbers that you have to like make a, a well-informed decision when you're going for the hit. But like I said, back then, man, those guys, they, they played one on Brady the other day too, you know, speaking of retirement. They played one of his clips where Nate Clements, I'm going to send it to you after this. I mean, Brady gets laid out, his helmet goes flying, and um, I forget what the uh, the meme said, but they said they would have called, like, the SWAT team in on Clemens if, <laughs> if, if he hit Brady like that today. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. You look at the rules now, and it's like, not only do you have that small as hell window, but it's also like, if you spend too much time on top of him, do they say you drove him into the ground too? I mean, it is so nitpicky, and it's a nightmare playing defense nowadays. Yeah, I don't know if I could if I would have made it in this league. <laughs> like, no, nah, you were dirty by today's standards. You were dirty. <laughs> I was the yeah, dirtiest player of all time. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, let, let's talk Tom Brady. And I don't want you to take offense to this because you know I love you and you're an all pro linebacker and you will always have that. But you had what a six, seven year career? Six. Yep. You had a six year career and you were an all pro. You had a great career. Six years is. Way more than the average in the NFL. It's double double the average, yeah. But think of how many guys like you have come and gone. Great six years, and that's it. How many right. guys have come and gone, had a great year or two, and that's it. Tom Brady, 22 years, 20 as a starter, won more Super Bowls than you played years in the league. How right. do you put that into perspective for someone who might be saying, oh, good riddance, I'm glad he's gone, when what he did was something that we should appreciate forever? Oh, it's not official that he's gone. So first of all, okay, yeah, I was gonna get to that. <laughs> I have I have not seen Tom come on or appear or, or release any statement. I know TV twelve uh, released something, retracted it, but um, you know it's uh, it's it's insane, man. It's uh, we got to be lucky to have witnessed this. You know, much in the likes of LeBron, Kobe, Michael. You know, all the greats. But I mean, you think about. 22 years, man. And to put it in perspective, just like you said, Tom got in the league six years before me. We both played for six years together. He played for another like eight after. <laughs> yeah. And had another Hall of Fame career after. Oh, I saw that they split up his his uh his 10 years, 11 years and 11, and it's two Hall of Fame careers. If you split it up three times into seven-year careers, he has three Hall of Fame careers. Yeah. With three Super Bowls in his first seven, two in the second, two in the end. And so, so if you really, you know, I thought saying he had two Hall of Fame careers doing him a disservice, he had three. And yeah. that's, 
that uh, all the records, it's just incredible, you know, because I don't care how bad you want it. You need some luck on your side. And, you know, yeah, you make, I believe in making your own luck, but 45 or 44 and leading the league in passing, that, that shit just doesn't happen, bro. <laughs> that does not happen. Half his receivers got hurt half the year. Evans was in and out of the lineup. Antonio was in and out of the lineup. Um, it was, you know, it was crazy. I, I Gronk was in and out of the lineup. So it's like, but I, yeah, it's, it's hard to even really put into words what we just witnessed. And I hope it's not over. I hope he plays one more, um, you know, because he had been saying it forever. I'm going to play through 45. And so he's still, he's only 44. <laughs> only, 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 only 44 years young. He's going to be the first player to actively take their 401k while they're playing. <laughs> but uh, it's it's incredible, man. Like, just like you said, um, to think, you know, and obviously we played two different positions, but I had a full career. I went into coaching. And then even three, four years after that, the man's still playing. Yeah, think of how many different careers you've had. You had a football career. You had a coaching career. You have an entrepreneurial career right now, which we're going to get to any second. I mean, all of that while Brady is still going strong and you were a student for the first six years of Tom's career. I Exactly. I mean, and so, you know, and I grew up, I grew up in New England. My dad played for the Patriots, so I grew up, no offense, Tommy, but Bledsoe's my quarterback. That's, yeah. That was my guy growing up, man. Uh, so shout out to Drew Bledsoe. But, um, but yeah, dude, it was, it's absolutely, absolutely insane what he was able to do. And, uh, and it's, you know, just really honored. I mean, I know how that sounds. It sounds weird coming from a, player, a guy that played against him. And, but it's like that the stuff he's done just doesn't, that just doesn't happen. Like it, we'll, we'll never see that again. I yeah. can say, look, look, even if Joey B, God bless him, plays 22 years. What does he get? Maybe four, maybe four rings. Maybe. I mean, best case scenario. And he would take that with a smile on his face. Oh, he'd be stoked. We'd be yeah. pumped. We'd be pumped for him. But it's, uh, I mean, you look at, and look at Kansas City. Um, now that Mahomes is paid, it's going to be hard. Like, yeah. since he's got, since he's got another two or three year window before, you know, uh, Burroughs contract's going to hit the books hard. So, um, you know, I hope, I hope they make the most of it. Um, just like Kansas City has, has seemingly done over there with Mahomes. But, yeah, I think these these kids even they're they're realizing like you know how did this guy do that like these these guys that are playing quarterback now, you know they're they're probably in their mind thinking like man like I won one ring, he's got six more how's how's that possible? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I said it last year. Radio wrote I think last year was the only chance we had of Brady being tied. If Mahomes had won that game last year, he has two. Brady has six. six. Then there's a conversation to be had, but. At yeah. seven, I just—it doesn't seem—it doesn't seem doable. It, yeah, it seems like a movie, which I'm waiting for that to come out. You know, that's coming out. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. Hey, before we wrap this up, by the way, Brady, the most impressive number I've seen: 147 passing touchdowns in his 20s, 168 in his 40s, and he's only halfway through his 40s. That's baffling. Went almost 10 years without a Super Bowl between his after his third and third. before you know the Malcolm Butler play against Seattle for his fourth almost a decade passed and still has seven they what I mean he won 11 conference championships no one even talks about that yeah because 
just to get the right to play for, you know, 10 or 11 Super Bowls. <laughs> it's insane. Hey, we alluded to this before, and before time runs out on us here, we've got to get to Zone In CBD. It is by far my favorite cannabis company. I'm repping it right now for those of you that are watching this, not listening to it. Lofa, like I said, it's been 11 months since we spoke. So what's new with Zonin? I think that I saw a brand new pre-workout that might not have been there the last time we talked. It wasn't. It wasn't. I'm going to have to say, yeah, you know, TB12 has this thing. I got Zonin CBD. I know this is is my method that's got me back to my best life. Um, You know, help me drop a bunch of weight, you know, stay focused. Anti-inflammatory, neuroprotectant. Um, It's incredible for both the mind and body and what it can do for you. And so, uh, yeah, it's changing a lot of lives. I'm going to get you that pre-workout. You can find out more about us at zoneincbd.com. And, uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me, Joe. Lofa, always great. You killed it in the NFL for six great years, and now you're killing it in life after football. Thanks so much for joining the show. Appreciate you, brother. We'll be back with my final word on Sorallo Sports Talk. All right, it's time for my final word here on this episode, episode 52 of Sorallo Sports Talk, and what a great spot right there with my man Lofa Tatupa. I'll tell you what, these three guests I've had on the past three weeks have not missed. Josh Booty, Ike Taylor, Lofa. Obviously, Josh and Lofa are regulars. Ike Taylor making his second appearance on the show. I mean, these guys are just a wealth of knowledge, and talking football with them is just an absolute privilege anytime I get the chance. You know, I want to focus my final word on Tom Brady. And like Lofa brought up, and I kind of agree, neither of us truly believe in our heart of hearts that Tom Brady has played his last NFL game. I just don't think it, it's, it's happened yet. I don't buy it. I think he has so much more left in the tank. I mean, he showed that at age 44, throwing for a career high in yards, 5,300. And I know that there was an extra game this season. So how about this? Second most yards per game of his career, right? In year 22. Nothing to scoff at, even with the extra game. But that's why he can't be done, right? He has so much left in the tank. And for the fiercest competitor in NFL history, you can argue sports history. Obviously, look, there's Michael, there's Kobe, you know, there's others. So we'll just stick to football here. For the fiercest competitor in NFL history to hang the cleats up after a career year, an MVP quality season, and ending on a loss in the playoffs, in the divisional round, after dealing with the adversity. And look, I know you can say what adversity. He assembled a Pro Bowl roster around him. He had Evans, Gronk. Don't forget Chris Godwin, who was having a career year, goes down, gets hurt. Antonio Brown quits in the middle of the Jets game. This was not by any stretch of the imagination an easy year from start to finish for Tom Brady. And I just feel like going out like that is so incomplete. But if it is the end for Tom Brady, look at what this man has accomplished. I mean, all the accolades, all the awards, 16-0 regular season. Obviously, no one is happier than myself at how that year ended. But a 16-0 regular season, that's never been done. It probably won't be done again. No team will probably go 17-0 or start 16-0, to be fair. 28-3, that comeback against Atlanta. Super Bowl 51, and then he almost replicated it in his last game, down 27-3 to the Rams, tied it up at 27 before losing on a game-winning field goal. I mean, he's done that twice. Two comebacks of 24 points or more in the postseason, one in the Super Bowl, and he sealed the deal with a win. 
It's unheard of. It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable. And that's been the trend of Tom Brady his entire career. Doing the unthinkable. The unimaginable. He's won seven Super Bowls. That's more than any other franchise. He's appeared in 10. That's more than 31 franchises. Only New England in their 11 appearances. Nine of which he took part in. Tops that. But how about this? He's got his three NFL MVPs. But he has five Super Bowl MVPs. That is more Super Bowl MVPs than 28 franchises have Super Bowl wins. That is more Super Bowl MVPs than 22 franchises have Super Bowl appearances. Think about this. Tom Brady has been deemed the most valuable player. Now, there have been times where I disagree with it. Malcolm Butler's year. You know, you can even argue last year with Tampa that maybe Gronk was more valuable. Maybe the entire defense, guys like Devin White, and and Ndamukong Sue and Vita Vea, maybe they were more deserving. But at the end of the day, he has been deemed the most valuable player of the main event in sports, the Super Bowl, five times. And there are 22 franchises out there that haven't even been to the game five times. He's been in the league 22 years. 10 Super Bowl appearances in 22 years. He has been in 45% of the Super Bowls to take place during his career. And he has only been a starter for 20 of those 22 years. So he has been in 50% of the Super Bowls to take place since he has been a starting quarterback. He's won seven of them. That's almost a third of the Super Bowls since he's been in the league. It's over a third of the Super Bowls since he's been a starter that he has won. Unheard of, unthinkable, unimaginable numbers. And above all, You can complain about him, and yes, the winning got old, and yes, I rooted against Tom Brady in damn near every Super Bowl I can remember, right? I didn't really recollect watching football up until he had already won three, and then after that, I think I had rooted for Tom Brady in just one Super Bowl of the final seven that he played in. So yeah, I'll admit, I was was a Tom Brady hater. I rooted against him, obviously the two with my Giants. The only time I ever rooted for him was against the Rams, and that's because... Well, that was my second time covering the Super Bowl and going to Radio Row, and I picked them. So I was rooting to be right, not even so much rooting for Tom Brady. But as fun as he was to root against, and yes, sometimes he complained, he was whiny, he got in ref's ears, and sometimes, oftentimes, he got calls from officials that maybe he didn't really deserve, but he got them on reputation. Tom Brady, at the end of the day, was a good guy, is a good guy. And I think people need to remember that, and appreciate who we got to witness achieve greatness for so long. Yes, he was fun to root against, fun to hate on the football field. He was the fiercest competitor you'll ever watch play professional football. And he is a good guy. You know, I really didn't love Tom Brady all that much when I was headed to cover my first Super Bowl. Super Bowl 52, New England lost to the Eagles, picked the Eagles that year, so was rooting against the Pats. But I was rooting for the opposite matchup. I was rooting for the two teams that lost their conference championship. I wanted a Minnesota Vikings-Jacksonville Jaguars Super Bowl. First off, the Jaguars to the Super Bowl. How wild does that sound? Teams drafting number one overall two straight years. They were minutes away. And we talk about the Falcons comeback and the Rams comeback to tie that game, which they eventually lost. How about the comeback in that Jacksonville game? The Jaguars had a two-possession lead in the fourth quarter in that one. They were going to the Super Bowl. And so that was the matchup I wanted, right? And the Patriots won, and stupid 19-year-old me was disappointed, right? Ugh, 
I have to cover Tom Brady. Like, that's such a chore. I'm going to Radio Row for the first time to cover my first of now five straight Super Bowls. And I was actually disappointed Tom Brady was going to be there. So I get one chance at a press conference. It wasn't media night. I couldn't get to him that first night. I get one chance later in the week in the Mall of America in one of their press conference rooms to ask Tom Brady a question. And it was a thoughtful question. But part of my mentality with that question was, I'm going to see how he handles a tough question. I'm not going to stroke his ego anymore. At the time, he had already won four Super Bowls. He had already been to six. He didn't need his ego stroked anymore. Excuse me, he had already won five Super Bowls and been to seven at that time. So I was going to give him a tough question. I wasn't going to ask him about any of the five Super Bowls he won. I was going to ask him about the two that he lost. And I asked Tom Brady this question about the Eagles comparisons defensively to the two Giants teams that beat him. And here's what he had to say. Tom, Joe Serralo, WSBU. Does the Eagles' depth at the defensive line position kind of remind you of those Giants teams in the sense that they're not going to tire out in the fourth quarter down the stretch like Atlanta did? Yeah, they're not going to tire out. I don't think those guys haven't tired out all season. They've got enough depth at that position to, to rush hard on every play. Um, and I think what they do a good job offensively is they force you to, you know, they, they score a lot of points. They've been ahead in a lot of games. Um, and when they're ahead, they can play their style on offense, and obviously they can play their style on defense. So when you're behind a game, you, you feel like, you know, man, we really got to get back in this game. You know, we need to throw the ball more. We need to, you know, really get score quickly. And that's really when they tee off because they got, you know, dynamic rushers and the inside on the outside. They've got speed. They've got power. they got ball awareness when they get in the back of the pocket. So, uh, you know, they challenge you in every way, and that's, that's tough for any offense when, when they have dynamic pass rushers, but you know, that's what we're dealing with, and we're going to do the best we can. Thank you. Best of hey, luck. And so you see, I think that clip right there is a great indicator of the type of guy Tom Brady is because he was probably thinking, who the hell is this young no-name reporter, right? And he didn't know I was a kid, a teenager technically, 19. I'm sure I look older, but still a young no-name reporter. I'm not from ESPN. I'm not from Fox. I'm not from any major outlet. And yet he gave me the thoughtful, intelligent, well-said response that you just heard when I asked him, again, not about one of his five victories on the biggest stage, but about one of his just then two defeats and how the Eagles stacked up similarly to those Giants and how he game planned for a team that looked like a team that took him down twice. One of which, of course, one of those times was when he was going for absolute history. You know, I'm sure Tom Brady would sacrifice a few of his Super Bowl wins to get back that 18-1 Super Bowl, right? That 08 Super Bowl against the Giants with a perfect 19-0 season on the line. I guarantee he'd rather be 5-5 in his 10 games and have that one back than 7-3 like he currently is. But I asked him about it, and he thought about it, and he gave me a great answer, and he was a respectful, good sport, and that's who Tom Brady is. He's a good guy. And so... If you rooted against him his whole career, which I'll be honest, up until that rams Pat Super Bowl, I had rooted against him his whole career. I hope at least now you appreciate what you got to witness if this is the end. Again, I'm not entirely sold it is, but if it is indeed the end, I hope you can at least all take a step back and appreciate what we just saw. You know, Jet fans, Bills fans, Falcons fans, 
I understand that you're going to live the rest of your lives with Tom Brady-induced PTSD. But at the end of the day, I hope you can all acknowledge that football was better off having Tom Brady in it than not. I mean, this guy was not the golden boy. He did not have anything handed to him. We talk about officials giving him calls later in his career, you know, as a sign of respect or maybe a sign of being spoiled, but Brady earned those calls. Did he earn them now in the last 10, 15 years? Maybe not. But Tom Brady was the 199th overall pick of his draft class. He was not Peyton Manning. He was not John Elway. He was not Andrew Luck. He was not Trevor Lawrence. He was not the golden boy, next great thing, guaranteed, sure lock, Hall of Famer. He was pick 199. There were quarterbacks taken ahead of him in that draft class. Numerous quarterbacks taken ahead of him that I can't name, that you can't name. We can't say the same about a lot of other great quarterbacks, right? Ben Roethlisberger, who was taken ahead of him? Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers, right? All three of those guys are Hall of Famers. Tom Brady had 198 players taken ahead of him and a lot of no-name quarterbacks. He didn't have anything handed to him. And here's the last thing I'll leave you with in terms of his Super Bowls. Because I hear people say, oh, he should come back. Eight is so much better than seven. And if he wins two without Belichick, there'll be no doubts that... No, 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 no. I'm sorry. There are no doubts. He has seven. That is more than any other franchise. He left Belichick and the Patriots and won one in his first year. That was the statement. Stop reaching for more. If Brady comes back, it should only be because he wants to and he can still perform. He's not forcing anything. Seven Super Bowls. Let's take a look at this list of great quarterbacks who have either won one Super Bowl or no Super Bowls. We'll start with no Super Bowls. Dan Marino, best quarterback ever to not win a Super Bowl, right? One of the best quarterbacks of all time. Got there once, couldn't do it. Jim Kelly went to four straight. Sorry, Bills Mafia. I love you, Bills Mafia. Jim Kelly got to four straight, couldn't do it. Warren Moon, friend of the show. I'm hoping to have him back on in LA in a couple weeks. Amazing quarterback, trailblazer, pioneer, legend. Never won a Super Bowl. Philip Rivers, just mentioned him. Gonna be a Hall of Famer, gonna be enshrined in Canton. Eli got two from that 04 draft class. Roethlisberger got two from that 04 draft class. Rivers never got to the big game. Another charger, Dan Fouts, legend, had him on the show last year. Amazing. Never got to the game. Fran Tarkenton, got there three times, couldn't win it, ahead of his time, scrambler, cannon of an arm, amazing quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback. Again, got there three times, never won it. Now let's look at the greats with one Super Bowl. Let's start with active players. Aaron Rodgers. I certainly don't feel bad for him. One Super Bowl win. Hall of Fame career, most efficient quarterback of all time. People who want to say he's in the conversation with Tom Brady, don't ever speak to me. Aaron Rodgers can't tie Tom Brady's shoes. Is he talented? Yes. Is he probably going to win his fourth MVP this year, which would put him one ahead of Tom Brady in terms of NFL MVPs? Yes. But at the end of the day, I'm sure Aaron would trade all of those MVPs to have seven Super Bowl rings. Or maybe he wouldn't, because he is Aaron Rodgers, and he's a selfish motherfucker. Let's look at the other quarterbacks with one. Russ Wilson, another active quarterback. Could have had two, should have had two, but doesn't have two, and it happened against Tom Brady. I'm not going to say because of Tom Brady. Even though Brady orchestrated a hell of a comeback in that game, it was the 
Malcolm Butler interception that sealed the deal. So yes, Brady, hell of a fourth quarter comeback, double-digit comeback. Got New England up 28-24. Butler sealed the deal. Russell Wilson doesn't have two because he ran into a Tom Brady-led team. Steve Young, yes, he has three, but only one as a starter. He had two as Joe Montana's backup, didn't see the field for two of those three rings, one as a starter. Johnny Unitas, you want to talk about an all-time great? Johnny Unitas was an all-time great. My favorite Johnny Unitas story on a personal level, not that I ever had the good fortune of meeting him while he was alive, but Johnny Unitas made his college football debut for the University of Louisville against my St. Bonaventure Bonnies. Lost that game. My Bonnies came out on top. Not too long after that, St. Bonaventure didn't have a football team and Johnny Unitas was in the NFL. Only one Super Bowl, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Brett Favre, another Green Bay Packer legend who I don't have too much love for. Brett Favre. So the Green Bay Packers have had the good fortune of having Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers man the quarterback position for the last 30 years. And they have just two Super Bowl rings to show for it. That's a disappointment. And then the last guy I want to get to. A guy who went toe-to-toe with Tom Brady many a times over nearly two decades. He actually has two Super Bowl rings. But he was really damn close to retiring with just one. Peyton Manning. Look, Peyton Manning had nothing left in the tank. He went out on top. But not because he had the choice to. Because he was going out regardless after winning Super Bowl 50. He had nothing left in his arm. He had nothing left in his shoulder. Peyton Manning, who had some incredible years with Denver. Look, when Denver got there and lost to Seattle, got embarrassed, 43-8, Peyton had a record-breaking, incredible season. Four years later, Denver wins the Super Bowl against Carolina, and they didn't win because of Peyton. They won in spite of Peyton. But Peyton deserved that second ring. At the end of the day, he's got multiple rings but he was so close to having won. There are a lot of greats who have either never won a Super Bowl or have just won the big game once. And that's why Tom Brady winning it seven times means so much more than guys in other sports who have multiple championships, than guys with multiple World Series rings, or especially NBA championships. Winning the Super Bowl is nothing to be taken for granted. It is the hardest championship in the hardest sport to win at the end of the day, and Tom Brady has made it look easy. It hasn't become an experience. It hasn't become a treat. It's become the expectation. Because Tom Brady, the only thing that he is more passionate about than winning, and the only thing that drives him more than that feeling of winning the Super Bowl and hoisting up the Lombardi Trophy, is his hatred for losing. Tom Brady has always hated to lose more than he loves to win. And it's what makes him the greatest competitor in football history. And the GOAT, it's what he is. You can hate him. You can have hated to watch him. Tom Brady is the best to ever do it. I don't think he's done. I hope to God he's not done. But in case he is, I just hope I did his career justice. And just like that, this episode, episode 52 of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. I might have one more show between now and Los Angeles. Stay tuned. We're working on potentially locking in a pretty damn good guest to kick off the Super Bowl festivities. So I'll see you next episode. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.